Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again, and with me is a very special guest, Laura Waters-Brown, is the Senior Manager of the Collective at Wasserman, a fairly new division of Wasserman, which we're going to get a chance to talk about in just a little bit, and, and with the important work that she at the Collective are doing. So thank you, Laura. So appreciative of you taking the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's always good to hop on with you. You know, I love talking with people about the moment in time last March where they were at the moment they realized that things were not going to be the same. And at that time, you were in digital marketing for the PGA Tours. Do you remember that moment in March? Where were you and what the situation was? Oh, yes, because we were in the middle of the Players' Championship. Uh, and I was sitting with my team in the uh, press room. And I, matter of fact, in the press room, if you walk into the media center to the left on the back row, back two rows, we were kind of sitting there. And over the, the previous few days, we started to hear the rumblings and things like that. And then I believe the NBA canceled games. And then we got our email notification from um, Commissioner Monahan, basically saying, grab your stuff, get out. <laughs> we'll see you when we see you. Um, but it was definitely a memorable moment just because it's an international event so you've got people who have traveled across the world who now have to figure out how to get home in the middle of an uncertain time of a pandemic when people don't know if the airlines are working if people can fly what they can they can't do is this thing airborne is it is it off of surfaces what is it um but then you had us who were in the middle of a tournament trying to figure out okay so like does this mean for today like when you say go in and grab your stuff are you talking about like the pins and paper are you talking about you know monitors and things like that and then you have the players the actual athletes who had to stop their competition um and leave the golf course and then all the fans we essentially had to kick them out what little fans were on site and so it was just so the the area of uncertainty uh, and unknowing was um, was something I will never forget. And in your role in social media and in digital marketing, that must have been really crucial at that time. Yeah, fortunately, I had a great team and we were, um, I wouldn't say prepared for this specific event, but we kind of had a process in place of emergencies. So in the event of an emergency, this is the person who gives the nod on wording we copied and pasted directly from press releases, made sure it was going to the right people. Um, at that point in time, it was strictly about facts and not about anything else. Like if it wasn't in a press release, we're not saying it. Um, so it was just information, fact, 
um, and just focusing on people's safety, uh, which was was most important. Yeah, indeed. Well, and during that whole time, you you spent several months within the PGA Tour trying to get that all sorted out. But then at the first part of this year, you joined the collective at Wasserman as senior manager. And so you've now been in that role almost a year. So what was the appeal to this particular position for you? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, I think for me, the appeal was the opportunity to really dig into this servant leadership role or space, right? Um, I think we all know sports is a international unifier and we all know that sports can have an impact um, but I think sometimes on the business side of sports we we don't always uh, that's not always number one and so the opportunity for me to literally wake up every single day and my sole focus is how do I make a difference in the world in sport for women um, was something that I just couldn't turn down uh, there was a great opportunity to work for a new arm or a new division within Wasserman, right? Which is an international uh, organization, but to be able to go to a place where they want to create something because it's not been created and it should be created uh, was something that I just couldn't turn down. Um, being able to make a difference and to fight for gender equity, but not necessarily be, um, you know, being pushed to be the name of the solve, right? But just making sure that it gets solved. Um, so really aligned with my attitude and how I kind of operate and work through, which is just do the work. Like, you know, really don't care who gets the credit, like let's get it done. Um, and so it was a, a match made in heaven. So far, so good. Uh, it, help me understand the full brunt of this because there's a lot of terms there. There's a lot of, I want to make a difference, but I'm not hearing what the difference is describe it to me yeah. what what's it all about yeah so we have the collective focus on four pillars uh we inform we inspire we solve and we support anything we do falls into one of those buckets and so what you'll see in the space of um gender equity and dni is there are a lot of voices and a lot of people and organizations and groups who all mean well and are joining the conversation and are raising awareness but not necessarily a lot of solutions um, that are coming forthright. Um, and so what we do is how do we find those solutions? Albeit who, whoever's doing it, whoever has the solution, how do we find them? And then how do we utilize the resources as to bring that to the forefront? Um, a great example of that is our collective think tank, which is falls under our inform and inspire bucket um, and solve honestly and support all of them actually, but it's essentially a, a global consortium of 21 universities and colleges from around the world who lend not only their um, uh, expertise from a professor standpoint, but also their amazingly genius students uh, and help us kind of solve this, um, this issue or this problem through projects, through research, through questions and answers. Um, a lot of times we ask or we tell the world what Gen Z wants and what the Gen Z woman wants rather than just asking them and then elevating their voices. And so we do that with all of this amazing research that these professors have been using and doing and quite frankly have become subject matter experts 
over the years, they just don't have the platform to hmm. share that information. And so we take, you know, we work with them to come up with projects and really hone in. We have a great um, series of op-eds. We're firing out two to three op-eds a month for the past nine months on various topics within the women's community, whether it's um, everything from LGBTQ uh, to uh, Paralympic athletes um, and all authored by our professors. And we're just helping them to get the research that they've already done out there. And that's just one of the, the multiple examples of, of what that. we're doing. So as this new position came up, this senior manager position, how much of that actually uses some of your digital marketing background? Or is this an entirely new assignment or opportunity altogether? Yeah, it's crazy because I feel like this position was definitely ordained because I feel like it uses all of the skill sets that I've picked up over my, my career in sports from digital to social to uh, e-commerce to communications and just, uh, you know, marketing, all of them into one. And so part of what we do is we have to tell the stories of frame and tell the stories of the research that we do. And what we found is that in academia, uh, professors typically submit 50 page papers and reports um, to academic journals for publishing. That's how they operate. But we know in the sports business world, you've got a good two minutes to read something, right? Read short, sweet, and to the point. What do I need to know? How do I need to know it? And how do I make a difference? And how do I solve for X? And so we've come to um, kind of join those two together and figure it out. And so my background in digital has really helped me think through the process of, okay, this is an awesome research paper. How does that translate to social? How can we pull out the, the key points um, to make sure that it what we need them to do or what we need them to say is visible and upfront and social? Um, and then we can link back to the full article because the people that are like, oh, this is what I need to know, will be able to link back and read the actual full article. Got it. So 50 page report in 140 characters. That's your job. <laughs> or less. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of, uh, it's amazing. Wow. Really interesting work. Now, you have a fairly famous mom, and I hope you don't mind me talking a little about this because I think it's a fascinating part of your background. Tell me a little bit yeah. about her and, and what influence she has had on you in your career. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Um, you know, I've had, a, it, it's interesting um, where I am now and just kind of my background and how I grew up. When I grew up, I was surrounded by women who were in seats of power. So CEOs, um, district attorneys, lawyers, my mom who was on the court at the time. Um, that's what I grew up around. These are all my, my uh, proverbial aunties, right? And so it wasn't really until I got to college did I hear of this term glass ceiling? And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean a glass ceiling? Like that women are gonna get into the workforce and can only go so high before they hit this glass ceiling. And I'm like, I don't know any woman that's had that. They're all, they're all <laughs> successful. So help me make, like, make it make sense. Um, and so it wasn't until like the first 
18, 19 years of my life, I had no clue what that was. And so as my mom um, went through her career and continued to break um, this glass ceiling and continued to be the first uh, of everything, I think being around that kind of primed me to be in this space of gender equity uh, because the ability to speak up and say, I understand that you've done that this way, that's fine, but we're gonna do it this way now. Like we should look at it this way. Um, what you do for one, you should do for the other. It, we're not asking for handouts. We're just simply asking um, for the same. Like, let's just make it the same. It's not a difficult concept. Just make it the same. Uh, and so growing up around my mom and even to this day, um, I think it's really awesome to be able to look back at her and say, you know, from, you know, day one, I've had a model of what gender equity looks like. Uh, and especially gender equity and then being a black woman um, in this space and in this world uh, has been modeled for me from home. It's really terrific stuff and has prepared you so well for this because in a way you just didn't see that glass ceiling growing up like everyone else apparently could or should. Uh, it was just not existing to you because you saw everyone succeeding around you. Yeah, it's it's crazy because, and it's it's crazy when, um, how my parents' dynamic work, right? Because my dad brought the sports and my mom brought kind of the business side of things. And so I got it on both ends. You know, my, <laughs> my father was like, no, you're not going to play for this team because I don't like the way the coach is talking to his players, his the, the girls on the team. You're going to play here. Um, you know, no, you know, you said, I remember, and it, <laughs> I remember when I stopped playing basketball in high school, to play volleyball, um, I told my coach, uh, my father taught my high school at the time, I told my coach, I was like, you know, I don't wanna play basketball anymore. I wanna play volleyball in college. It's my senior year, I'm gonna focus on volleyball. And the next day, practice started and I didn't go because I said I wasn't playing. And my coach went to my father who taught at the school and said, Laura wasn't at practice today, like what's going on? And he was like, she told you she was not playing anymore. And I'm not going to force her to do so because she is her own person. She has her own opinions and I'm not going to force her to do anything she wants to do. So I got, I was very fortunate to get the uh, strength and inspiration from both sides of the table. It's like, this is what we're not going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And they came together <laughs> and they created <laughs> my crazy, amazing childhood. Um, but both I think have uh, prepared me um, not only for this work, but just for sports and a career and life in general. Well, you've certainly grabbed the bull by the horns and just taken it wherever you wanted it to go. And, and it's, it's indicative of where you are today. And, and now with the collective, uh, you as an organization believe that brands must act, especially with Gen Z and millennial women, on these five key priorities that I looked up here and was prepared to talk to you about and wanted to mention to these to you and, and maybe have you go through each one and, and see who in your mind is doing a great job in these. Uh, the first one is meet her on demand. What does that mean? Help me understand that. Yeah, so meeting her on demand is the meeting her when and where she wants to be met, right? And so as a Gen Z woman, I don't, I'm a millennial. But Gen Z women or millennial women may not consume your product the same way as men. Therefore, you need to adjust where you're placing her messaging. There, there's no point in targeting 
um, a woman, uh, a message directed for a woman, a, a campaign um, in a space where she's not going to be or when she's going to be there. And so, you know, it's really indicative of uh, the capabilities now with digital marketing. There's really not a reason why you can't meet her on demand with all of the ad serving and the cooking. I don't know how long it's going to be available before, you know, restrictions are put in place. Um, but right now you should be able to be in the spaces where she wants to be. Okay. Well, the second of your five pillars are connect with her on purpose mm -hmm. versus what? Yeah. So this generation and women specifically care about the world and about everybody else. And so you need to, as a brand, you have to have morals and act on them. And so they believe this, this Gen Z woman believes that right is right, wrong is wrong. And to not state that or the other is to be wrong. Like you can't be indecisive. You have to be right. You have to stand up for something and you have to do it authentically. Don't seize the moment. Don't just pop in there in the conversation because you think that it is um, advantageous. No, because they will call you out, right? Mm -hmm. They will, we've seen it before. They will call you out. Um, and so you have to be authentic and you have to have a purpose. Well, it folds into number three then, and that's demonstrate that your brand is here for her. Elaborate on that if you would. Yes. So you have to care about me as an individual and understand the issues that, um, or the, the things that, the barriers that keep me from doing anything. So in the area of sport, if you want me to come to a game, you have to understand all of the things that are keeping me from a game. So if I am a single mom, um, if, I'm a, if I'm a mom of four, and you want me to come to a basketball game and to feed a family of five costs $150 plus parking, now I have, to, I have to drag these four kids in from parking lot 75 all the way in for an 8 p.m. Tuesday night game. Those are barriers. And they're all things that could be uh, averted or changed, right? I think um, a brand specifically that's doing this really well um, down in Houston, the soccer team, the men's and women's soccer team, right? They've adjusted their approach and said, we're going to look at um, soccer fans and we're going to market soccer fans and market the, both of these teams together because when given the opportunity, fans tend to or may choose the women's game. Mm -hmm. But it's soccer. It's not like it's soccer. One of the sports where there is not a lot of um, gender differential when it comes to play, soccer. Well, number four that you have is stand for her by standing for all. Yes. So I need you to not only communicate to me when and how, but I also need you to communicate with all my friends. This generation, Gen Z, is some of the most diverse uh, people um, to date, uh, to come through. And it's not, but their friends group, friend groups are just naturally more diverse. And so when you're communicating to a group of friends, you may have one who's into action sports. You may have one that's into baking, computer science. You've got somebody else who's into powerlifting and they all hang out together. 
So what works for one is not going to work for all of them. And so you've got to be diverse in your messaging and you have to be open uh, to all and say, you're all welcome. And there is nothing in our brand organization that should deter any of your friends from coming and joining in into this event or product or brand. Who would you say is doing a good job of that off the top of your head? Or is that one that comes to mind? Um, I would have to say a brand that is marketing to all very well. I think right now you see with um, Ben and Jerry's, I feel like they do a really great job of all of those pillars, right? They stand up for things. They have these great brands or names that are after specific actions. They've been consistent. Their leadership from the top is like, this is who we are. And we're going to stand for something. We're going to make our point and we're going to be consistent about it. And we're going to be in the front lines. Uh, but they are also, uh, and I think you're starting to see like just the support, like how many people will go, you have option to buy ice cream and there's a bazillion options, like the whole grocery aisle Think Like think about when you go down that aisle that takes the longest to go down and you've got the, the cheese and the milk and you've got 10 <laughs> other products on this side and you have an entire wall full of ice cream so many options choose Ben and Jerry's why because they stand for what I'm doing and they support all and they're like right is right wrong is wrong um, and they do it in an authentic way and they're not new to this conversation um, so they've built up some brand equity that says you know we fight for people hmm. very cool number five of your five pillars support permission for the better this generation, this Gen Z woman wants to make this world better than when she got it. Uh, we are leaving this generation a world that is like, poof, right? So many things are um, in unrest from politics to the earth, to just people communicating to now we have um, new technologies coming out that are limiting interactions like actual human interactions and we're just like here you go and this gen z woman actually had a conversation with a young lady the other day um and she was talking about uh, getting into the industry and how it should be and well this organization should do this and why wouldn't they just be great and you know pay equal and do a living wage and blah 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 this and the other and i'm like you're right you're not wrong you are not wrong it should be that way uh, but it's not yet. And so we have to fight and continue to work and inform, inspire, solve, and support um, everyone that's doing the work um, in this space, because at the end of the day, we're going to accomplish so much more and so much faster if we do it together. And that's kind of what this next generation of women is about. And honestly, this next generation of people, um, we just completed a survey um, with some of our think tank professors and there's information or research in there that just that says both entry at, at uh, entry level um, uh, Gen Z men and women entering the workforce both feel comfortable speaking up for gender equity and what's right. And so it's not just women that are carrying this conversation or you know raising their hand and saying you need to listen to me. This next generation is like yeah no. All my friends are diverse. All my friends are everybody. So yes, we should all be treated equal. I don't understand what the issue is. <laughs> it almost defies logic, really, as you go for it. But it, it's important. And it's 
incredibly vital that we talk about it and that it becomes part of the norm rather than this kind of strange conversation of the exception to that. You're doing really important work. Thank you. And honestly, it's it's a team of us and I couldn't do it with uh, great leadership uh, and Thayer Laviel, my boss, who took a chance on me without uh, the amazing leadership at Wasserman. Um, not every organization would say, we want you to come in and make a difference and mm-hmm. like just come in and make a difference because that's the right thing to do. Um, not come in and make a difference and, you know, tie it back to a sale, right? We are literally yeah. here to make a difference. Who in sports right now, among the women athletes you've either worked with or for or have seen, which of their stories really fascinates you right now in the year of really more of the up and coming recognition of women being deserving of equal rights or equal opportunity? If I had to pinpoint an athlete whose story um, really intrigues me the most, I would have to go with right now, it would have to be Maya Moore, um, who's one of our athletes. Um, And because I think it's just so amazing and remarkable to do the work, to have the, the, the career that she did in college, to get to the pros and have an amazing career and care about something so much she literally just left it all behind and said, I'm one of folk. I need my energy is needed here. My purpose in the world is needed here. And I want to do this work. And against everybody else who is saying, you know, how could she leave? Like, how could she turn away? Like, blah, 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 all that stuff, all that noise. She was like, I want, this is my purpose. This is what I'm going to do. And she's still in the beginning of, of her purpose here on this, in, on this earth. And so I'm really curious and intrigued to see kind of how that continues to grow and blossom, because I do think there are a lot of athletes out here doing specifically women athletes doing the work and have been doing the work for years um, and just haven't gotten the recognition. Um, I think you have coaches like Dawn Staley, who's out here. She was an amazing player. Like, and now you see that into her coaching career. Um, you know, I think when you when you think of when I was growing up, Mia Hamm, I wanted to, mm-hmm. I swear I was going to go to UNC and play soccer. I was a whole different position, probably, uh, you know, four or five inches taller uh, and probably nowhere near the talent. But I was determined. I was going to be Mia Hamm and I was going to UNC. Hmm. And it didn't work out that way, but no. <laughs> that's all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about who has influenced you along the way. Certainly Mia Hamm may have influenced you as a, a in y- your younger years, but who has molded you and mentored you within the industry? Yeah. I mean, outside of my parents, um, mm-hmm. who were obviously the first and foremost to literally get their hands on me and shake me into, into where I needed to go. Um, I would have to say, and I would love to say I'm never going to tell him personally because you probably want to hear this, but I would say um, my boss over at the Browns, uh, Kevin Griffin, uh, did a lot for me professionally, um, just in literally opportunities, picking, picking me out of a crowd of, of who knows who and bringing me in to run social for an NFL team, something of which on paper I should have had no business doing. <laughs> I had no real experience. Social was just happening at the time, but 
he saw in me something at times I didn't even see in myself um, and really nurtured and gave me the opportunities, so many opportunities, just figure it out. He was like, we're going to figure it out um, and really helped me to understand, I guess, kind of my work style and that being different wasn't bad because if you ask anybody, there is not a box I have ever fit in. And if you try to put me in a box, I will go directly against the box, you know? And so um, just for the sake of going against the box, I'm a middle child and Scorpio at like the box, the, the, the you remember the four square game? At, oh yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like four that square. Was the, That's what it was called. Was I think. Box yeah. I ever fit in. Exactly. That was the only box I ever fit in. <laughs> so I'd have to say, I would have to say Kevin. Um, and then, you know, throughout, I would actually say too, that it was, a number of my colleagues as well. So not just my bosses. I think every relationship uh, that you come across, um, you can learn something from. So I have people that I learned what not to do from. Um, I, I learned from how to handle certain people, how to really work with and understand the human side of people, right? That not everybody is gonna be 100% when you're 100%. And so understanding that word empathy um, I think it's something that I've, I've picked up along the way from a number of people um, in, throughout my career. You've been asked to do several podcasts and speak on behalf of not only women's rights, but certainly African-American and black women's rights. And, and you've done a lot of things along those lines. And it's obviously near and dear to your heart. So many young women are looking up to you and they're saying, oh, Laura, you're so confident. You're so self-assured. Were you always this way? And, and for those who may not feel as though they have it, how do you recommend that young women build confidence along the way? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, very kind words. I, honestly, for me, I wasn't, I don't think I've always been confident in who I was and accepting of who I was because I was always different. Um, growing up, you know, I was what we call now or what we call then a tomboy. Uh, and so I didn't really fit in with the other girls who are into like I played sports I was I was my dad's kid my whole life still am right and so basketball if it wasn't basketball practice it was volleyball practice or soccer practice or softball some sport with a ball I tried track mm -mm, didn't do that um and through sports and through I think him building up my confidence of um you deserve to be out here I think that set the base right and then going through high school as one of uh i think really put me in a mindset of this is just how the world is and then i discovered hbcus historically black colleges and universities and i went on campus of south carolina state university and i was like oh my goodness everybody looks like me what is this place it's hot it was warm outside there's palm trees and everybody looks like me. And it was really at South Carolina State where I think I found my voice and who I was and built this confidence in me. I joined um, an amazing sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, which is built on those fund fundamentals, um, sisterhood, scholarship and service. Um, I had amazing teammates who were all from different backgrounds. I didn't know how big the world was. I had teammates from Guam. I had teammates mm -hmm. from Yap. Um, I had teammates from Germany, um, Canada. Um, who else do we have? Everybody from around the state and, or around the country. I had never heard of these places. 
And so these women surrounded me for those four years where I learned who I was. It was okay for me to have curly hair. I didn't know I had curly hair until I got to college. My hair was always straight. And then I get to school and they're like, oh, if you just do this, it'll curl. And I'm like, wait, what? It'll curl. Simple things like that. And then going out into the world into the, and going into the sport world, um, where I interned at Ohio State and Gene Smith was another one who was very important in my career really is the reason I went to grad school at Ohio University. He made, he made those connections and he was like, you are going. I see something in you, you're going, whether you want to go or not, because I didn't want to go. He was like, you're going. Um, and that really set the, the things in place. And I think confidence comes from accepting who you are and accepting that you don't have to fit in. Like there's like this concept of fitting in, like who determines what is in um, and who determines what is cool or fashion or the right thing, right? And I think over the years now, what we're seeing is people really breaking down the systemic issues in everything. Like who created X, Y, and Z? Oh, this man or person created this and you see it play out throughout here, here, here. And this is why we now think this is beauty. Huh, go figure. Uh, and, and so for me, I think it was uh, South Carolina State was a big part of it, but then also having a firm base and understanding of who I was and whose I was, was really, really big for me. Um, because at the end of the day, a career is a career, a job is a job. I'm here to live this life and live it according to how I was taught I should live it, to be purposeful, to make a difference. Um, and if you have a problem with that, maybe the problem's not with me. That's what you, <laughs> like, that's not, that's not me. But I think you have to be confident. I think there's a saying out there, you fake it till you make it, right? But I think, um, honestly, it's really just becoming one with yourself and accepting, like, this is who I am and I don't want to do that. And when I do that, I'm not my best. And so if you want the best out of me, you're going to meet me over here and we're going to figure this thing out. But I can either, I remember I used to joke um, about uh, the gene policy at one of my previous organizations. And I'm like, I, in my mind, people are like, you're wearing jeans on a Tuesday. I'm like, yes, I work in digital. I have no meetings today. I'm wearing jeans today. I'm like, the policy is, I'm like, do you want me to wear these jeans and get this work to you? Or do you want me to run home, change, and then get the work to you in an hour and a half? Like, are my <laughs> jeans really that distracting? Um, but no, I joke on that one. But I think, you know, for me um, to hear that people feel that I'm authentic and, and who I am and kind of just, this is me, um, lets me know I'm, I'm, I'm doing something right. And I think um, for anyone listening, right, it's, it's okay to not know who you are yet. Like you have to grow and develop in that. And I think who I am today is not necessarily who I'm going to be in 10 years from now yeah. or tomorrow. Like I could be, a, my hair could be purple. Who knows? <laughs> Laura Waters Brown, senior manager at the collective at Wasserman. You have been such a gracious guest. Thank you so much for being here on the Crowdmaker. Thank you, Bill. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep the Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. 
Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. And the executive producer of the Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertine. Until next time, thanks for listening and so long for now. This is the Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.